0: Loving Father in Heaven, Lord, we just want to thank you and praise you just for the privilege of being your co-workers because you could perform the plan of salvation yourself. Without our help, you could use angels. We're told you could even make the rocks cry out. But you use sinful, erring, weak human beings of which I am chief, Lord. You know that I have no business being up here, but you have called me. So I'm here, Lord. So I pray that You would use me in spite of myself, my weak and Christ-like self. And may Jesus Christ be not only seen and heard, but felt throughout our lives and to the lives of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that. Amen, Robbie. I appreciate that. So, your mission. Now, you remember we discussed that whatever our vocation, our calling in life... What is our first consideration? Win souls for Christ. Whatever one's calling in life, his first interest should be to win souls for Christ. He may not be able to speak to congregations, but he can work for individuals. To them, he can communicate the instruction received from the Lord. Ministry does not consist alone in preaching. Those minister who relieve the sick and suffering, helping the needy, speaking words of comfort to the desponding of those little faith, Teaching the ignorant also, right? Nigh and afar off are souls weighed down by a sense of guilt. It is not hardship, toil, or poverty that degrades humanity, but guilt, wrongdoing. This brings unrest and dissatisfaction. Christ would have his servants minister to sin-sick souls. A twist on the parable of the sower. Now, Matthew 13, 23 says that the seed that fell on good ground is Who? The one who receives the word and understands it and bears what? Now, What is fruit? Bears fruit. Is it the fruits of the spirit? They're counted though. They're numbered. Right? I believe this is people. But I think what's very intriguing is the parable of the talents uses what numbers? One. Right? Two. Two. Five. And they multiply them to, you know, two, nine, one, four, and ten, right? But notice here how many do we bring forth? 30, 60, or 100. Is that possible? Could you win 30 people to Christ? I believe you could. Some of you could win 60 souls to Christ. Some of you, a hundred. Some of you maybe thousands or hundreds of thousands. I believe there's a reason those numbers are there. Think about it. Think about it for a while and commit yourself to doing it. So we talked about the ratio. Going back to your skills, remember we talked about in your job, right? In your job, we've looked at your skill set. Now, I've thought about myself, and I'll use myself as the illustration. Most of my invitations are for a week of prayers for colleges and academies. Over 50% of what I do is just that. And I thought for myself, why is that? But it's very clear now, because I'll show you some interesting thoughts. When I went to the Ukraine with amazing facts, we had 2,000 people coming. A night it was great phenomenal and I was there doing health lecturing answering questions stuff like that when we were done there were 89 baptized that was just at the end of the campaign that wasn't with the follow-up so I thought that was amazing my last retreat was a couple months ago I did it for a church for the Filipino American Seattle Church and there were many people that came that were not Christian that were not Adventist out of the 100 people that came on the retreat, there were about 12 that were baptized. Anyone here from Oklahoma Academy? No one. I did their week of prayer recently. Out of their 44 students, 36 committed for baptism. Wow. Yeah. Amen. Anyone here from Laurelbrook? Yes. Now, uh, I want to share with you what the principal said to me at the end of that week of prayer. Were you guys there? Do you even know? I said, Mr. Hess, what do you think about the 25 students for baptism? It's not beyond my wildest dreams. (laughs) And that's exactly how he said it. Is it not true? He said it just like that. But he was excited, you have to understand. He was very excited because after just a short weekend over half of their student body made commitments when I did a week of prayer in Springs of Life it's an orphanage in Calcutta, India does anyone know Bill Dahl? anyone know who Bill Dull is? yeah he runs a bunch of orphanages did you know that 82 of his 90 students came forward? wow but you know some of them were quite young so it ended up being 60 but still I get letters to this day after three years from the orphans. And they're still moving forward. And you know what? I tell you, I keep in contact with them. I call them like every four to six months. And one time I called. And I'm going to share with you the story. It's just not fair. And it shows you the devil fights dirty. In ministry, there's no holds barred. What was happening was is that some of the students were actually seeing the devil. And I'm like, well, what does he look like? (laughs) And they got on the phone, and they told me. They said, you know, uncle, they call me uncle. They call anyone older uncle, pretty much. It's like when you're in the sun, and you're walking, and you cast a shadow, but there's no person there. And then they describe it as a 14-foot shadow. It will walk up to them and talk to them. Or they'll describe it as a white cotton ball that kind of dances in front of them and talks to them. And what had happened with two of the students, it was trying to get them to go to the garbage. And one of them was like putting her hand on her fellow classmate and pulling her, we need to go to the garbage. And the garbage is a 14-foot compost pit that you can't get out of. These students were six and nine years old. And had made commitments to be baptized, but hadn't followed through. And I said, Simone, honey, you have to follow Jesus. It's the only way to save yourself, to protect yourself from the devil. And we prayed on the phone long distance. And the devil didn't bother her anymore.
1: Amen.
0: But dude, he goes after six-year-olds. That's just not Fair. Pick on someone like me, you know. Well, on second thought, don't pick on me. I got enough problems. But by God's grace, He can help us. I went to the other orphanage in Chennai, India. Out of their 60 students, 35 for baptism. Piedmont Valley Youth Bible Camp. My sister... My favorite little sister, Diana. I studied with her over two years ago. And she was baptized at Auburn Camp Meeting. And the day after her baptism, she came with me to Bible camp. She shared her testimony with the youth. I shared the morning meetings. And 35 of the 80 campers made decisions for baptism. Are you seeing a trend here? When I talk with adults, sure, there's there's results but give me some young people, right? And God really works. Not because I'm any better than anyone else, but he's given us all our work, right? He's given us all our specific talents and abilities, right? I would probably go crazy as a pathologist, but give me a nice trauma. (laughs) Give me a stroke. Give me an MI. Give me a full arrest, I'll go at it. And that's the same thing. I wondered why week of prayer draws me. Why does college students, why do academy students draw me? It's not always the numbers, but it's something else. And it relates to who I am as a person. And I'll give you this an example, just so you can think about it yourself, for your own life. In the emergency room, we're the final stop. Dr. Steffens is an emergency physician, so am I. We're the last thought between that person and death many times. Now, consider this passage for a moment. Numbers fourteen twenty-nine: Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered with you according to your whole number from whom, how old? 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Now, that's very interesting. As the scene opens before this verse... Israel is on the borders of the promised land, and what do they refuse to do? Go in. And so God says, okay, you're going to die out here. Then what do they want to do? Oh, then then they want to go in, right? And God says, look, you guys are going to die in the wilderness now. But were all of them to die? No. What was that cut off? 20 years old and upward. Now I'm going to ask you a very important question. Do you think the 19-year-olds weren't sinners? I mean, really, as innocent as you guys may look, I'm sorry. I know you're a sinner in need of grace, right? So why not cut them off? Why do you suppose God made such a decree? Do you think he was just being arbitrary? The sinners were 18, 19, 17, 16, 15, as well as 30s, 40s, 50s. But what's the difference between a young person and an old person, would you say? They're changeable, thank you. Their frontal lobe has not fully matured. There's still hope when you're young and also when you're older, right? But think about it. How many people that were older actually went into the promised land out of the millions? Two. Right. So you think about it. God wasn't making an arbitrary decree. He was just saying what was going to happen. Because when you're 13 to 19, you're making that final transition, aren't you? Where you're deciding not only what you're going to do, but who you're going to be. Now is the time to make that final effort, to cement that relationship with God. It's sort of the last chance, so to speak. Not that there's not more chances later, but it's the last good chance, I believe. If you look at the people who stay in the Seventh-day Adventist church, do you know when they were baptized? Early teens. Yep, some of them later teens. But later on, it's hard, hard to stay in. So I believe that's one of the reasons that I gravitate. I thrive on being that last stop for people, giving them that final chance. And believe me, I'm going to preach my heart out. I'm going to give them a good chance because that's what I do every day in my job. And so that's probably why I gravitate toward more college, you know, academy aged And I believe the results are significant. And they will be for you too. Here is an interesting thought. A lot of people put a lot of stock into study, knowledge, you know, wisdom for their ministry. But there's times when it can hurt you. Isaiah 47.10, your wisdom and knowledge, what? Mislead. Mislead you. When? When you say to yourself, what? I am and there is none beside me. So when you as the missionary are thinking that the results are dependent on you? Think again. It is not the talents you now possess or ever will possess that will give you success in the work of God. It's the humility of a child and knowing that the knowledge and wisdom comes from Him. Who is Ezekiel twenty-eight seventeen talking about? Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor." Who is that? Satan. Satan. That's right. Lucifer. Here's an amazing quote of Ewan Herald, July 11th, 1907, paragraph 3. "...Intellect is mightier than wealth or physical power." Interesting. The pen is mightier than the sword, isn't it? But watch this, "...if sanctified and controlled by the Spirit of God, intellect Exerts a strong influence for good, but intellect alone does not give true manhood. Lord Byron had rare intellectual gifts, but he was not a true man, according to God's standard. His passions were fierce and uncontrollable. Throughout his life, he sowed seeds that ripened into a harvest of corruption. This man was one of the world's distinguished men. But how did the Lord regard him? As one who had abused his talents and wasted his life. Wasted his life. When great intellect is made, in, made to minister to vice, it is a curse to its possessor and to all who come within its sphere of influence. So intelligence can hurt you. Getting more information, getting more knowledge can hurt you if it causes you to become proud, right? Right? So in your preparation for ministry, it's good to have more information. It's good to learn more, It's good to gain more skills, but it will all be worth, worth worse than nothing, actually. If you think for a moment that it's all about you, because folks, it's not. It's all about Jesus.
1: Amen.
0: You know what? It doesn't matter if the mightiest speaker on the face of the earth was speaking to you. Without the Holy Spirit, not one thing's going to change. But with Jesus, all things can change. Where is this quote found? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall, what? Direct Direct thy paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Where is that from? Proverbs 3 3, verses? 5 through 7. Very good. Now, I'm going to share probably the greatest challenge to my life work, to my ministry that I ever experienced. And many of you who were at the first meeting, you understand what was playing in the back of my head all the time I was in med school. Do you remember? Anyone remember? Who told me that I couldn't be a doctor? One of my own parents had sat me down and told me I wasn't smart enough, I didn't have a good memory, I wasn't disciplined enough, and that I would never succeed as a doctor. And I was a teenager when they told me that. Don't say that to your kids, by the way. That's not what a parent's supposed to say. But I can tell you that those words started playing in my head like never before as I went through what is perhaps going to be what will make or break your ministry. And it's how you deal with obstacles, how you deal with roadblocks to reaching people for Christ, with roadblocks to your job, with roadblocks to becoming that good spouse. I call it the scramble. And here's what happened. My final year of medical school, I was in a bad car accident. There were about four people in the car. We were T-boned at 55 miles an hour. And one person was thrown from their seat. They were not buckled in. But thankfully, their impact was softened by my head. And my head went through the window on the other side. I was knocked unconscious for several hours. They didn't know what was going to happen. I was in a coma. And I regained consciousness only to have total amnesia. I couldn't even remember who I was. I could talk to you, and I'd say, what happened? And they'd say, you were in a terrible car accident. Is everyone else okay?" Yes, they're fine. What happened? You're in a terrible car accident. Is everyone else okay? Yes. Who am I? Where am I? What happened? And it would keep going on and on and on. In fact, it was so bad, the nurses in the ICU taped a sign to my chest. And it read something like this. Your name is Tim. You are a fourth year medical student you are in a terrible accident, everyone is fine. And then it would go down the list and one of them would say, you are not married.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and you know, I got a little concerned because all my classmates came in to, to see me and I knew that one of my classmates really liked me. And I was afraid that that question would pop up while she was there at the bedside. Am I married? <laughs> yes to me. <laughs> I, mean, I, I wouldn't have believed her. I would have believed her. <laughs> But the thing that was challenging was the fact that not only did I lose my memory, right, I got to pass my boards now. I don't even know who I am. Let alone biochemistry and anatomy and physiology, right? And I was examined and they determined that it was dangerous for me to take my boards at this time. Even when I regained my memory and started to remember things, they told me to study, study, and take a long time, just let my brain heal. But the worst part was is that my personality started changing. Wow. And usually, I'm a very uh, friendly person, but you know, I'm not going to go just crazy and be irresponsible, you know <laughs> Meaning, like you guys already heard that I really only had two girlfriends since I've been an Adventist. But at that time, when I hit my head, I just started picking the most attractive people and going for it. And I date this girl one week, and I date another girl the next week, and it was horrible. Don't do that, by the way. I had totally lost my inhibitions. And then I tried to get help from the neuropsychologist that was helping me. She wasn't a Christian, though. And you know what she told me when I pled for help? I said, I'm dating all these people. I'm breaking people's hearts. It's terrible. She's like, Dr. Reisenberger, I think your conservative Christian heritage has inhibited and repressed your sexuality, and this is an opportunity to let it out. (laughs) (laughs) Mommy. (laughs) We'll just say I didn't want to go back to that psychologist anymore. But the problem was is that I was hurting my friends and family by the fact that my personality was now different. One person who was, myself, who was usually patient and kind with others, was now demanding. Instead of being diplomatic with people, i just say it was on my mind. And it hurt a lot of people. And I had to, in front of 65 of my friends, we were at an event, and I stood up and publicly confessed my sin to them and asked for their forgiveness. And I was specific. I said, I know there's some of you I've been dating and i just dropping. That's wrong, I'm sorry. Some of you I've been impatient with, I'm sorry. And several of my friends started to cry. But you know who cried the most was me because I prayed and I said, God, I'm not even myself anymore. I need my mind back. I need it back. And I prayed as I've never prayed before. And I can tell you that good things didn't necessarily happen. Right after that was the match, where you're gonna determine if you're a doctor or not. You're gonna determine what university you're gonna go to for training. And after the match, the results were nowhere. I didn't get in anywhere. And so what do you think played in my head at that moment? You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You shouldn't be a doctor. And I was reeling. No place had accepted me. As far as I knew, I was not going to be a physician unless I could get a position. Did I give up? No. No. What what options did I have? Well, there were still seven spots for emergency medicine left in the country, and there were 7,000 physicians who wanted them. And so I got on the phone and started calling them, started calling them and begging for a position, trying to get a place. I spent all day, I didn't take breaks during the time I was trying to get into emergency medicine, several of the people from my school had actually come and tried to get me to take other specialties. And unfortunately, they were not helpful. Because when people know that they now have the advantage, they're not always nice. When they know that you're in trouble and you're desperate, they're not always generous. I remember I had a professor who looked me in the eyes and says, if I give you a position, You need to stop all this preaching stuff. Because I know you preach at people, Tim. And I said, I'm sorry, sir. I'll try not to do that. And in my heart, I said, there is no way I'm joining your program, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I would would do something else than medicine than join your program. Because I'm going to preach my heart out. Diplomatically, lovingly, but in the name of Jesus Christ. Because without him, I'm nothing. I'm not a physician. I'm not even a man without the man. So I, by God's grace, I actually got into a spot on the East Coast. Those of you who know East Coast medicine, we call them malignant programs. New York, right? They're not evil. They're just brutal. When I came into the ICU as an intern, I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I was sitting there with a patient whose blood pressure was crashing and they needed a central line and a swan floated into their heart to monitor their pressures. And they're like, Riesenberger, put in the line. I said, you know, um, I've never really put in more than one or two of these and the patient was really, just put in the line. Why well, don't feel comfortable? Just do it. And I said, well, wait a minute. Isn't this supposed to be see one, do one, teach one? At this program, it's do one, do one, do one. (laughs) That was told me. This is what my senior resident said to me. And so here I am in a program that's very brutal. I'm working 80 to 135 hours a week. During my month in ICU, I had one day off the whole month just so tired, you know, 48 hours without sleep at a time, no food, no family, no girlfriend. (laughs) She was very unhappy at that time, you can imagine. No time with God. I remember coming home to my apartment and just crying sometimes. But, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't the only one doing it. One of my friends, he came home and found himself face down in a bowl of cereal sleeping. <laughs> so what did I do? What did I do at the time? Did I say, you know, I didn't get into a program that I wanted. I'm away from my family. Just forget it. No. I did faithfully. What? The work that lies nearest. Do you remember that quote we went over? I did faithfully. I got the number one score on the in-service exam in my program. It was a blessing. One of my chief residents, he was funny, he's like, oh, Tim Reisenberger, test-taking wonder. (laughs) I still keep in contact with him. Chris Carpenter is his name. He's a great guy, fantastic. But I desperately wanted to be back home, back on the West Coast near my family. And then it went from bad to worse. I got a call three months into my internship are you Tim Riesenberger? You know the news after that question is always going to be bad, right? Yes. Is your sister Diana Riesenberger? You know it's going to be worse after that question. Yes. She's bled into her brain, and she's in critical condition. She lost function of the right side of her body at age 19. Can you imagine some of you? How many of you are 19? A lot of you. Can you imagine being paralyzed at 19, facing death? That was my sister. And she was on the West Coast. And I was away from her. I could have shaken my fist at God, right? And said, how could you put me out here? How could this be your will? But I didn't do that. I did everything I could. I flew back home nine times during my internship to be with my sister, supporter, to be with my girlfriend, girlfriend too, sorry. But I can tell you, it was the hardest time of my life. And so where did I want to be? With my sister, right? She was stabilized in Seattle and actually got transferred to Stanford University to continue work on her brain. So where do you think I wanted to be? Stanford University. So I talked to them and they said, you want to transfer in the middle of the program? They're like, we don't have any openings. We have openings for first years and we wouldn't take you. You're already in a program. They said, we don't foresee any slots opening up now or for the next 10 years. Why would we? Our spots are open the first year as they normally are. In two months, a spot opened up right in the year that I could transfer in. Wow. So I called them again. I told them, hey, my sister's here. I went through the whole song and dance routine, played the violin. They said, we have 400 physicians for this application, one spot. I said, you're welcome to put in your application. And so I did. They narrowed it down to 20 other physicians and myself. Then they narrowed it down to five, then to three. Then I entered Stanford University as a resident in emergency medicine. Going from nothing to not only one of the most prestigious programs in the world, but now being right next to my sister, I went into the operating room with her held her hand. I went into the MRI during her scans and was with her by her side through that whole time. And she was not a Christian at that time. And that time with her started softening her heart. I could have given up many times, because believe me, that tape's still playing in my head when the challenges are there. But I see God working Also, I see God taking me from nothing and putting me at a program I couldn't even get into uh, under normal circumstances, let alone scrambling into it. And how could I know that my sister was going to be there? How could I know? But God knew. And He knows for you. Just don't give up when you're lonely, don't give up when obstacles appear. Don't say, why, God? And say, well, I'm going to get back at you. I'm not reading my Bible for a week. That's only going to hurt you. Don't give up when there's obstacles. Now, I can tell you, even when the happy ending comes, I can tell you, I finished 95th percentile on all my boards and graduated from Stanford University's residency program. And I sat at the banquet with my parents and that one parent who said I couldn't do it. And I talked to them. I said, what do you think now? Well, what are you going to say? Right? They said, well, you know, God has led you. This person's religious. They didn't apologize, though. They said, well, yeah, you've come a long way and you're a great doctor. But I can tell you, they have never to this day acknowledged the wrong that they have done. But I have chosen to forgive them. Just as Jesus prayed, right? He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. This parent doesn't understand that kind of damage that it would do. To a young teenager like me, aspiring to minister, aspiring to serve others, and to be told I wasn't smart enough. My memory was poor. But you know, what you're going to find is that when you find the ministry that is right for you, that God has chosen you for, there will be something that keeps you going. I'll get to that at the end. But one of the things I wanted to share is, I don't know if you've realized that most of the things that I've shared with you in these seminars, are they positive or negative sort of things? Well, some of them are positive, but they're kind of humiliating. They're negative. They're, They're setbacks, right? I mean, it's not fun to get a head injury. It's not great to not get a job, right? To be rejected, majorly rejected by everybody, right? That's not good. Why? does it so often seem that God's will is through the path of suffering? Have you ever wondered that? Why so many obstacles? Why are we always getting beat down? Well, I know that for my life, it is most likely because I unfortunately have to learn the hard way, as did Samson. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 567. God's promise, his will, That through Samson, he would begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines was fulfilled. Was God's will done? Yes. Were they delivered? Yes. Yes. But how were they delivered? Here's the key. But how dark and terrible the record of that life, which might have been a praise to God and a glory to the nation. Are you seeing why God has to use trials? Because we're not obedient. Because we're not doing what he's saying. If I'd get it through my thick head, he wouldn't have to do it. But he has to use these methods to save me, right? Had Samson been true to his divine calling, the purpose of God, the will of God, right, could have been accomplished in what? His honor and exaltation. But he yielded to temptation and proved untrue to his trust. And his mission was fulfilled. But how? In defeat, bondage, and death. But you know what? If that's what it takes for God to fulfill his will in my life, I'll take it.
1: Amen.
0: I'll take the humiliation. I'll take the suffering if it means that God's will will be done And people will be one to him. I'll take the people talking behind my back constantly, stabbing me. I'll take the discouragements. If it means that I'm going to see some people in heaven someday, because of what God's done through me. You know what one thing helped me to overcome that obstacle to my ministry and that tape playing in my head? Um... I'll show you. These are two letters I actually got from a patient. And I've gotten many letters from patients. But this is one that is pretty representative. Now, to give you some context, I don't give my address or email address to my patients. (laughs) Most of my patients have some sort of psychiatric disorder (laughs) in the emergency department. So I'm not giving it out. But what happened with this patient is she was actually seen in the ER and then looked up my name online on the hospital's website, did a Google search, and sent her letter to the last college that I did a week of prayer at, and said, please forward. (laughs) Smart. Please give to Dr. Riesenberger. I don't know if you remember me. I was only 20 years old but I wanted to write to you to let you know how much you really did help me. I was brought to your hospital by an ambulance. I came in on an intentional drug and alcohol overdose. At the time, I was just trying to end my life. I want to thank you for sharing Christ with me and comforting my mother with your kind words. I truly believe that God is using you and used you that night to impact my life forever. I would love to email you again and share the entire story with you. Now to give you some context, this young girl had dropped out of college, had started smoking, drinking, using drugs, carousing, gave up everything. She became horribly depressed and she had planned to kill herself. She had taken a massive overdose and now her friends in an attempt to save her life said hey there's a party going on in this house over here so she kind of staggers over there and the police and the paramedics are waiting for her to handcuff her and force her into the hospital she comes into the hospital and I remember the first impression as I pulled back the curtain and walked into the room and I said wow this is such a wonderful woman here she's beautiful but she's totally messed up this is like a waste of a life And I remember telling her just a very short thing. I said, you're throwing your life away. God can help you out of this. Do you want me to pray for you? And she's like, she didn't even say a word. She just kind of nodded her head. And her mom said, yes, please pray for us. Her friend was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And I prayed five minutes with this family. That's it. But it changed her life forever. Can five minutes make a difference? Yes, it can. If you're doing what God has called you to do, and that's share Jesus Christ wherever you are. I shared with her, but then she told me later that I actually forced her to be admitted to the hospital. She was not able to leave because she was actively suicidal, and she said, That she ran away and broke out five times. And every time she broke out, she'd head right for the bridge. And every time, someone would tackle her on the way and stop her. And each and every person she ran into kept sharing Christ with her. Not just me. It was everybody along the way. And finally, she's like, everyone's around me, sharing Jesus with me. And she finally gave her heart to Christ. And eventually, her life turned around. She went back to school. She gave up the cigarettes. She gave up the promiscuity. She gave up the alcohol, the drugs, went back to school to be an education major, actually, to help orphans. And I can tell you, I went and actually visited her and her family later. This was like years later. It was like like two or three years down the line. And this was the second letter. Tim, it was so wonderful to see you again. Thank you for taking the time to come and visit and also for taking us to lunch. I would love to write my testimony and send it in. Also, thank you for the book. I gave them steps to Christ, of course. I know that God is really using you in your line of work. You really touched my life. And I know that you are touching so many more. I would love it if you would keep me in your prayers, and I will do the same for you. I hope you're having a good week and talk to you soon, Angela. When I hear the devil tell me that I can't do it, I read the letters. Amen. And Christ says, in me, you can do all things.
1: Amen.
0: When the devil tells me, you don't belong here, Jesus says, you belong to me. And this is what reminds me. That this is what life is about. Saving people physically and spiritually. You know, I saw this young woman and I didn't even recognize her. She had been so messed up before. When I saw her two or three years later with Jesus in her eyes, I didn't even know who she was. I remember asking her cousin. I'm like, what's going on? Yeah, she's really... With Jesus, she's like, she's more committed than I am now. At the last time I knew her, she was engaged to a Christian young man. And her cousin said before, it was kind of like there was this cloud over her. It was like dark, and her eyes were glazed over. And now, she was light. And I think often of Angela. That's not her real name. But I think of her, and I wonder to myself... Could not every one of us bring another to Christ? Five minutes, don't we have five minutes to share, to pray, to smile? God's ministry for your life, your mission, will only be discovered as you begin to share Christ with others. And you'll find the most effective way that it ends up being for you is the one that kind of picks you, you know? The one that you see more people affected. You see more of your skills used to reach them. And I can tell you, every letter you get, every person you share with, will only strengthen you in that path. It will enable you to overcome the obstacles. What has shut off that tape in my head that says I can't do it? The hundreds of letters that I have now from young people and old people who have come to Jesus Christ as a result of what He's done through me. And I believe with all my heart that I am a sinner in need of grace just like everyone in this room. In fact, I probably am a worse person than the vast majority. I really believe that because I've had more time to actually make the mistakes than you, I believe. But I believe that it's also true That though we have sinned, He has mercy and pardon. And He uses sinners to reach sinners. Did you know that? He uses people not that are perfect, not that are angels. Even those of you who are 19 and under, you're not angels. He uses human beings to reach other human beings. And I can tell you, there's one thing that I look forward to more than anything else. I enjoy being a physician, don't get me wrong. It's great to save people's lives, it's really exciting. But you know what excites me more than my job? Is what I'm doing right now. And that is sharing Christ. Because like I said before, all my patients could live to be 120 years old, but if they die the second death, what have I done? I've accomplished nothing. But you know, you guys could walk out of this room right now And you could lose your life. But if in this seminar you have decided, you know what? Nothing more than God's will, nothing less, nothing more. His will for my life in every area, be it my job, be it my spouse, or my ministry for Him. You could walk out this door, lose your life, and did you know I'll see you again?
1: Amen.
0: And the people... That you've reached for Christ we're told will come up to us in heaven and they will say I'm here because of you did you know that and believe you me there's gonna be a big party at my house when I see the young people from the week of prayers when I see my patients there because of what Jesus did and he will get all the praise and all the glory but I tell you I'm gonna be happy Because you are going to be there forever. And we can talk and we can laugh and we can remember, hey, you know, Tim, remember that time you met me in the ER? Whoa, I was really messed up, huh? (laughs) But now praise the Lord. I'm here because you prayed with me. Because you showed me Jesus. Because you took the time to spend a moment for my soul. And I pray that each one of you will commit your lives to doing the same. If you need to contact me via email, it's doctim at gmail.com. And I'll just write it up here, d-o-c-t-i-m at gmail.com. And if you want to find me on Facebook, it's just Tim Riesenberger. I'm the only Riesenberger on there with basically 1,700 friends, so you'll find me pretty easily. And I will answer if you send me a message. You can ask people out there. I do answer when people send me a message. I don't answer right away sometimes, but I'll certainly try. And each one of you is in my heart and my thoughts and my prayers. If I don't remember your names, I still care. (laughs) But I'll try to remember them. But there's one who never forgets us. And that's Jesus Christ. And I would like to close this seminar with an acknowledgement and a praise to him as we kneel in prayer. Let's pray. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, truly you are the reason for our mission. You on your great mission, came from heaven to reach out to us while we were dying, to give us a chance to come back home with you. Lord, help us to extend the same hand and show us the way that we can best do it, Lord. Show us what you built us for, what you made us for, whether it be speaking or preaching or teaching or healing or perhaps just speaking words of comfort to others. Lord, you know. But may each one of us do our part to win others to Christ is my prayer in his name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org